what I came to realize is everyone I love in the world is just really proud that I've given it a crack. And if I fail, the people that I'm worried with be go, oh, she failed. Well, they're not very nice people. And I don't want them in my life. Attitudes are beginning to change. The stigma surrounding dyslexia. Modern messages were received the by the brain. Dyslexic. Well, my whole view is dyslexic. It's kind of your super. Anything is dyslexic. Dyslexia. Hello, we are Move Beyond Words and welcome back to another episode of our podcast sponsored by Arts Council England. I'm Elizabeth Riffian. And I'm Charlotte Edmonds. In this episode, we're joined by a global industry leader and female tech entrepreneur, Pip Jameson, founder and CEO of professional networking platform, The Dots. Today, we explore her early career and first steps as an entrepreneur what it takes to be a trailblazing systemic disruptor, and the ambitions and ideas that propelled her to create one of the UK's most inclusive creative networking platforms. Welcome Pip Jameson to the Move Beyond Words podcast. We've kind of crossed paths in various different spaces. And I know, Charlie, you were on the panel as well with Pip. Yeah, a long time ago now, but you were in the boat then as well. I was just saying to Liz, I, I just remember your boat. <laughs> and obviously the amazing stat that you said right at the beginning of the conversation, you opened it with 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so uh, it's lovely to see you again and lovely to have you here. Oh, magic to see you again too. Yeah, I love that stat. It's um, It just blows people's minds. So it's, um, but yeah, we, we, we tend to be entrepreneurs. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think um I read somewhere as well about you know you see you're constantly problem solving and like as a business owner that's what we spend most of our lives doing isn't it is is we we're faced with a problem like how do we get around this um but yeah I'd be really interested to hear like you know you studied economics at Edinburgh and was that that the time that you noticed the impact of dyslexia or did that begin much earlier on yeah, it actually oh, began a lot earlier on. Um, so I I think I was around seven or eight where I was just really started falling behind at school. So I was doing fine at school and then something sort of happened where I just wasn't learning the same way as everyone around me. And uh, yeah, it was a really kind of tough time. And my, my teachers basically told my mum I wasn't, wasn't bright. Um, and my mum is amazing and she was like not having any of it she was like she is bright and actually by complete luck um, my mum was working for a charity at the time uh, and the charity she used to do um, puppet shows uh, educating primary school kids on disabilities so she used to go into these primary schools with these there were these giant puppets Um, the charity was called Kids on the Block not to be confused with a really bad 80s band called the new Kids on the Block Um, (laughs) But there was this, this puppet show and she'd go in and it was specifically around cerebral palsy. So my mum would be training kids that cerebral palsy, while it's a physical challenge, they're just like you. Um, and so she'd do this brilliant puppet show and then they'd do this kind of interactive things with the kids afterwards. And it was actually when my mum was working for that charity that she went to a talk on this thing called dyslexia. And I mean, this is the 80s, so no one was talking about dyslexia. And so suddenly she was like oh my gosh that's what Pip's got um so I was so lucky that I got diagnosed very young um and Mm -hmm. I got help very young and I think 
it always breaks my heart just to think, just for every one of me, there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, actually, that we left behind. And so, yeah, I um, I really struggled. Didn't really learn to read until I was about 11 or 12. But then I started getting coping mechanisms and... And then, yeah, I managed to get to university. And yeah, when I graduated, my parents bawled their eyes out. Because <laughs> <laughs> they know what it took to get there. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird, though, like I, I now running a business, I'm sort of grateful in a way for that time because it does teach you sort of grit, determination and resilience. You have to you have to graft really hard to get up to a certain level before you kind of recognize it's a super hour. But yeah, I think it, it did, it did put in me like this very deep level of resilience that I now have because I've, I've been through something really tough and come out of it. I know that if you work really hard, you can get through things because it just, yeah. I was lucky in a weird way to go through that quite young. And so after Edinburgh University, which it was also a really difficult university to get into, I wanted to go on to my next point, but I suppose my first one is, uh, what was the process of going to a university with like quite a high status like that? Yeah, it was really, it was really weird turning up. So, like, firstly, I didn't even apply for uni um, when I was doing my A levels because I didn't think I was going to pass my A levels. Um, and then, um, and I'd been to a very unacademic school, you know, um, which big premise on creativity instead of um kind of high academic and I ended up doing, doing well in my A-level so then I started applying and I say I I still find forms really hard so my mum filled in a lot of my forms bless her same anyway <laughs> <laughs> you're not alone there so, forms oh. um so yeah and then got in but I think it was this magical time where I was suddenly surrounded by really big thinkers and I'd never really had that before because I've been so focused on just learning to read. Um, it had been the first time my brain had been sort of opened up to this amazing kind of wealth of people that thought kind of differently. And yeah, I mean, it was really ch- challenging in the fact that, you know, things like you had to go to the library and read books, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> like, I was like, all right. Um, but being around those sort of big thinkers and just different people just opened my my mind in a whole brilliant way. And so I, I, I absolutely love the experience. I mean, with economics and maths, it's less reading based. So mm-hmm. um, that sort of helped in terms of getting through it. I think if I was, I start, on my first year, I tried to do politics. I was like, I can't read this, all of this documentation. Oh, <laughs> um, and it's before like, you know, you've got Audible and all those coping mechanisms yeah. I have now, but back then it was a little harder. Speaking of uh, big thinkers, you are a big thinker yourself and you've worked across government events and MTV in New Zealand before launching your first platform called The Loop in Australia. What was your inspiration and ambitions with The Loop? What was the inspiration? I guess, I mean, for me, uh, I've always kind of viewed my professional life as um, being quite different. and at the time, really, all that really existed was for your for, to develop your career was the professional network that is called LinkedIn. And it just felt like a very corporate, uh, very undiverse, very non-inclusive place to, to, to thrive. And I felt like I had to be that perfect suited 
individual. And I, you know, I'm a massive slashy, like economics, mass, creativity, tech founder. And I just felt I didn't really fit in a in a box. Um, at the time, um, I was working in at MTV and I was working in the creative industries and I was surrounded by lots of friends that were just working in a very different way. And so really somewhat naively, you know, I'd never had any tech experience. I was like, I want to invent a better way, for, a, a better pr- community platform for um, people like me and my friends. Um, and that was kind of the original um, inspiration. But I think very much core to that was trying to just create a really kind, inclusive space for everyone to thrive. Um, that it wasn't just about status. Um, it was, and so that was the first kind of iteration of what then became the dots over here. I think what's been interesting about the evolution is, you know, we started very much creative industries and then started broadening, you know, tech, tech is a massive area of the dots now, for example, but then it was then moving into supporting more micro communities, not just like the main dots community. But in essence, I just wanted to create a kind collaborative space for anyone to thrive in their career. So I don't know if you know this, but our algorithm is based on positivity and kindness. So the nicer you are, the higher you come up in search results. And it it's just led to this lovely place where you can ask any question. Like you can go, I've got, I'm struggling with dyslexia. Can you give me some coping mechanisms and suddenly the whole community will come around them and help them and support them and mentor them and that's that's the space that I always wanted to create. I'm a massive fan of the dots you know I've been using it for years and it is just such a dyslexia friendly space as well for people to actually judge you on a visual which is what we do as opposed to trying to write my CV which is really challenging and inauthentic to who I am because I am someone who will capture something with a visual as opposed to with my handwriting. But then in saying that, my husband's a writer and he also finds the dots really helpful as well. So you've really cleverly bridged those creative worlds quite seamlessly. Was that something you were conscious of when you did a transition from the loop to the dots? Like, What were the differences between the two? Yeah, I think the the first difference was around kind of showcasing your work. So in the loop, it was very much like an individual portfolio you'd put up. Um, but what we suddenly realized or what I realized in the loop, but then took that learning to the dots is we had loads of people that weren't visual, like your husband, <laughs> like who were, yeah. you know, who were joining. And so, you know, you had project managers and account managers and strategists who weren't able to or felt that they could put the visuals up because they didn't create the visuals. So the big difference was is the dots became very much more collaborative. So you could post projects, but credit the full team. So, you know, with this podcast, all of us could be credited on this podcast. But, you know, if it was a, an advertising campaign, it could be like, you know, copywriter, graphic designer, art director, but also the account manager, the strategist. If it's a app, it could be all the developers, designers in it. So it's almost like the it becomes friendly for multidisciplinary people. And I think everything I was realized was, you know, great work is a collaborative project. And the CV is so individualistic. It's like, this is so what true. I did. And you're yeah. like, well, you did that with a team of people, even if it was just like mm. a support network or a boss, you know, you did that with a client that actually was a collaboration. And that's what I hate about the CV is not just the written amount. It's just that it's it's sort of not reflecting what you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis and creating. And so that was 
a big difference between the loop and the dots. And I think the other big difference is just really it was leaning into how to help the community more. So we were kind of famous for jobs and being able to showcase your work. But then a lot of the community were trying to pivot careers or upskill. So that's when we moved into having events on the dots so people could discover events and courses. And then really the being being heart of the dots, which didn't exist at the loop, is more our kind of ask and question forum. So it's where mm. you literally get help. If you need something, you need help with it, you just ask a question and the whole community will help you. And and yeah, that can be like, how do I fill in a form? <laughs> to, um, can someone give me feedback on my can someone give me feedback on my work? Or, you know, heartbreakingly through obviously COVID, a lot of people losing work or being furloughed and struggling with mental health and it was lovely to see a space where people kind of were quite open like I'm really struggling and then seeing all the community come around even if it was sometimes like you got this it was just really lovely to see that and so that's kind of I think become my favorite bit on the dots is where you see everyone really helping each other on their journey so I was just going to ask actually like what do you personally get from it um, you know, but it sounds like you've kind of answered that there. But is there is there anything else that, you know, personally you really gain from that community? I think, I think it is just where I see them helping each other. Like it was interesting because one of the reasons we started the, the kind of ask and question is because so many people were asking me and I was just, just too many emails. And as a dyslexic, emails are a nightmare as they are. So it was almost like I wanted to augment me and how could and also my perspective I wanted everyone to get a diverse perspective on problems like my solution might not be right for you so so yeah I think it was just when the community help each other that's the magic bit for me and I just love like I love getting dms as long as they're really short I love getting dms where someone's just like you know you can't tell me how much that helps at that stage and that's the bit that kind of helps pick me up when I'm having a tough day and have to get out of bed I'm like yeah, we're kind of really helping people. And and I think of late, we've also started doing, um, we've got like smaller communities within the dots. So they're like channels on the dots. So for example, we have a channel which supports entrepreneurs who want to have a positive impact on the world. And so it's lovely seeing those kind of micro communities come together because I've kind of been mother dot. And so now there's lots of like godparents <laughs> who have their own. I love that own, mother dog. Their own channels and and their own communities, but using our kind of positivity tech, but you know for their own community and helping their own community. Oh, that's so good and so interesting. That would be really helpful for us, like with what we're doing. Yeah, I didn't realize that you did that. So yeah, I'll definitely be back on the dots this afternoon. Actually, if you go to my um, profile on the dots, you'll see the channels I'm a part of, and then you'll kind of start exploring oh, all perfect. the different channels. But we kind of soft launched it at the end of last year, and we're sort of rolling it out more and more now, which is really exciting. <laughs> yeah, really cool. So you are a female entrepreneur, and I've read a really great article with you saying it's a special place in hell for women who don't support women, which were, you know, we completely agree with. I'm a huge fan of women supporting women, and I'm so delighted that you are, you know, advocating for that. But you're also in quite a male-dominated world, the tech world. And then you have dyslexia. And as you say, um, at the end of your emails on your social media handles, that you're delightfully dyslexic. And we actually uh, were inspired by that and hope you don't mind. But we actually started to put that in 
our emails. Mm. Hopefully we can't be Oh no, I love it when people, (laughs) I love when I get emails from people that have my email signature. I'm like, that's amazing. (laughs) So good. It really does because if we've emailed people, a couple of people in other teams have said, love your you know love your signature and then we always say oh well, actually it's uh it's pit from the dots who started this so at least we're aware of it and um, but it just seems to encourage people to start being open publicly about their dyslexia so i just wondered if there's any experiences that you have had with your dyslexia or as a dyslexic trailblazer Oh, gosh, so many. I mean, it's interesting about the signature. Um, I started <laughs> that because obviously I, I really just have challenges writing. And so the challenge with that is I was having to always send out emails, but I, they were so slow because it would take me so long. And I was just like, this is just really inefficient. So I started it more as a way to kind of change, hopefully, people's perception from she's an idiot to, oh, she has dyslexia and it actually really worked. But what was lovely about it is also the whole kind of more positive effect, which was some, well, it it enabled people I was surrounded with to be more open and vice versa. Um, So, sorry, back to the question. This is what happens when I jump as a dyslexic brain. It was... uh, Love it. (laughs) um, So, yeah, I guess in terms of specific challenges... I mean, it's, I think these days I have the luxury of running a business with a team. So I think there are just so many challenges, but what I got good at was working out what I was good at and what I was rubbish at. And then hiring people around me who are the complete opposite for me. Like, yeah, verbal comms, I'll do exactly what you did earlier, where I will stumble words, (laughs) which is, uh, which can be particularly challenging in tech because actually the specificity of words, and I can't even say specificity, uh, I think that's the right word. Um, If you say the wrong word and a developer builds that to that. um, So funnily enough, my developers say they almost have like a PIP dictionary in the back. Amazing. Because I think in context, I don't think in specifics. So, you know that, have you ever seen that book um, that says Panda each shoots and leaves? And it's about where the punctuation is. And basically, if you get the punctuation in the wrong place, apparently it implies the panda eats, shoots, eats and then shoots people and leaves. And I'm like, of course, pandas don't shoot people. The context is there why the why the hell do you need a comma like just use your bloody brain (laughs) pandas eat shoots and leaves they don't shoot people and so that's how my brain thinks it's very much in the context and but the the challenge with that from a technical perspective is my my developers are almost the opposite right they they think of very specific so if I muck those sort of things up but that's just then about being open and going, this is my challenge, and then just ask me and then bless them, doing a little dictionary in the background, which is a that's pip so dictionary. <laughs> she said this, but I think she means this and we'll check. <laughs> you know, you do need people who balance our strengths and weaknesses out. Charlie and I are always talking about this. And when we put a team together, if we're doing a film or at the moment, we're launching our, our workshop series and we're looking at, okay, well, what, what skills do we need to balance ourselves out here? But it's a vulnerable space, right? It's a vulnerable place to be like, okay, I'm not great at this, you know, and I really need this. How, how do you navigate that conversation? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I had to running a business. Um, I mean, if I'm honest, creative industries was probably a softer landing working in because there are mm. so many of us that are dyslexic. So, you know, 
obviously, if you're dyslexic, highly indexes to high levels of creativity. So it was kind of a bit of a safer space to be open about it. And I think because my dyslexia is so bad, I've just always had to be from a really young age because there's no masking it. Like I've got, I've got other friends who are dyslexic who have literally hidden it. And that's awful, right? The stress and, yeah. um, but because really I just, there's no way I could even from the beginning, it like, you know, through university, through starting in the government, I had to be really open when I was kind of applying for the government to then the creative industry. So I guess by default, I've had to, but I've actually found talking to friends who haven't been so open, and it's obviously a very personal decision for everyone, that levels of stress it puts on you is more than me being open, if that makes Mm. sense. Because by being open, suddenly people do empathise. And I've kind of got to the point, if they don't, they're an idiot like these days. (laughs) I hear that. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think that's been sort of the journey. I've, I have always been open about it and found it very useful to be open about yeah. it. Yeah, I do know what you mean. It is really challenging if you are suppressing something. So when I graduated, when I graduated university, or sorry, when I got my results from uni, um, I did really well, which totally blew my mind. And I emailed my dad and I said, I told you I was a genius. And uh, I misspelled genius and I spelled it Guinness. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Just giving a clue on how you're going to celebrate the good result then. It's, there's a hidden message within there somewhere. <laughs> Definitely, I wanted a Guinness. So he's kept it and he's framed. He's framed. It's in our toilet at home. Um, and then the other one, which is when I was working for the government, I used to do, I was an, I was an economist for the government. I used to do, um, David Blunkett was a, a politician at the time, a Labour politician at the time and I used to do his economic summary um each week to give him an update and uh and I was working on um problematic drug policy at the time and I I in the update I said oh we've got to eradicate all problematic drug users or I thought I was saying that (laughs) and so I wrote that he was blind so I actually went to his brailleist then it went to him and then uh I got a message back from him and I'd actually (laughs) written irradiate so I was suggesting that we irradiate everyone who is a problematic drug user. And so that was another oh, one God. where, you know, you suddenly go, oh, my God, I'm suggesting to a politician we irradiate and kill everyone with problematic. So that was pretty, that was a pretty funny but awful one as well. But, yeah, there's been oh, loads, loads of those moments. It's, oh, it's so brilliant. funny. My, my housemates have got into Wordle. I don't know if you know of this. It's a dyslexic nightmare, but I just thought I'd give it a go last night. One of my housemates did it in about a minute or three minutes and you get six goes to figure out a word. And this this word was only five letters <laughs> and it's supposed to be really fun. And I gave it a go. I was sat, everyone had gone to bed last night and I was sat up trying to do this wordle. It turns out the word was moist. I mean, why choose that word anyway? <laughs> um, but it, I did a screenshot and at the end of it, it went Phew. Not well done. Did it. Once, I, once I had accomplished it, it just went phew. And I was just like, oh why? My God. <laughs> um, but it was quite funny when my husband That's went so to bed. She's kind. like, don't worry, you've got 13 hours because they're like uh, only 24 hours and it's a new word every day. But I just thought that really puts in perspective, like they did it in like a minute and there I was probably 
like half an hour later. <laughs> oh, Charlie. I mean, sometimes you just have to tackle these things and, and have a little bit of humour. And it's really good to to see that that's, that is you. You're kind of approaching things with a sense of humour. But I get the word game thing. Anyone like suggest a word game when you're like, I'm like, oh, come on. And like my brother's dyslexic as well. So we're the only two in the family. So we're both like, no, come on. Like this is just not fair for us. Well, I mean, yeah. the worst was when COVID was, you know, really bad and we were constantly in lockdowns and as a family we decided okay let's do the quiz you know (laughs) and every week we came last and I was just like oh this is just mortifying like I can't do this but every week it was the loser who had to do the quiz so I was spending hours trying to do the quiz and then I was like guys I think it's the winner (laughs) who should do the quiz (laughs) otherwise I'm gonna do it every single week and I'm not into it so the last one I did with them I did like lots of different dance routines and then they had to guess my dance routines, which they couldn't do. <laughs> so, you know. Nice. Nice. Ebbs and flows. But yeah, you've got to find your ways, haven't you? You've got to you've got to find like what works for you. Yeah, and I, I guess, you know, we do also have to constantly put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. I guess you can't really compare yourself to who you think you might be or whether you had dyslexia or you didn't have dyslexia. But I always find like, because I have dyslexia and ADHD, I I put myself in uncomfortable situations because I love playing the game with my, I call it my monkey mind, um, because it tells me I can't do something. And then I'm like, okay, I can, like, I've got to do this now. And, you know, jumping over that hurdle, the freedom that I feel on the other side of that is just so great and, and so rewarding. But do you see there's an element of that in you and and with your work. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I guess this is why we're, we tend to be entrepreneurs. So it's, I mean, it's one of the, I love solving problems and I love having my brain, my brain has to be active. Like, and so when things are too cruisy, I actually, it stresses me a bit. Like I, I like that uncomfortable, what's the next step? thing if if I do something that's too repetitive I go sort of mad so I definitely and I think that's an entrepreneurial trait that why why we become more successful entrepreneurs because we don't shy away from the kind of problems of it and it's funny you say about ADHD because um I've only recently started thinking that I do have ADHD traits but I was never diagnosed Um, I was actually, it was on the panel, the universal panel, where there was a girl on the panel who had ADHD and she was, I always thought it was a distraction thing, but I get hyper-focused and I can't get out of it. Suddenly, and I was hearing her talk going, whoa, like, and then started reading up and so I'm not diagnosed, but I think there's definitely elements of it as well. And I think what's... Mm. um, you know, but again, it's a a dynamite combination. (laughs) Because if you... (laughs) It's exhausting though sometimes. I do have to say that. Like I, I do get burnout and um I have to I'm getting I'm getting better now at knowing that I'm because I'm also recently finding out about ADHD. It's quite kind of a new thing as well. But we had um Lou Williams on our podcast and I highly recommend listening to that episode because um it's not been released yet, but um, you know, it'll be in a couple of weeks. But honestly, there was moments in that where she was saying and I do this and I do that and it was 
yeah. light bulb moments constantly going on in that episode. If and and she has a dog. It's a support dog, I think. I don't yeah. know if there's a proper term, but I remember her. It's like a support dog that enables her. It, it, it was fascinating to hear that the dog um, makes sure that she eats and, yeah. you know, if she's been working too we'll long or just and... kind of have a little bit of playtime and just having that other mm. um, kind of distraction. So when support. she gets in that state, oh, that's it will like pull so her out. And I was like, oh, my God, that's incredible. Because, like, I mean, my my husband's that, right? He'll come home and he's right. like, have you eaten? <laughs> uh, no. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, I actually got... Um, kicked out of school and I, I used to get in a lot of trouble in school and you're sort of like because obviously women get less don't get diagnosed as much with ADHD so if you it's interesting to think if I had been a boy would that have been diagnosed a lot earlier because I, I was getting in so much trouble at school but um but yeah it's uh I, it's a, a new new thing for me to start exploring <laughs> yeah yeah it's a big it's a big world as well there's, yes. a, there's a lot to explore there is something um that we wanted to ask and Liz and I are looking at practical solutions for dancers in the studio and when we're working together we have to look at what support can help us either administrative work or is it assist, like someone assisting us in the space working out time signatures with your close team are there any um tools that you've said to them or like either simple things to put in place or just been really open to change their methods of working to support your way of working I think the first most important thing I did was definitely spend a lot of time really self-evaluating what I was good and bad at. Um, and I actually, and it's, it's a quite a corporate thing to do, but I did it anyway, which was like a 360 review, which I had one of um, my mentors interviewed all my team from my last business, The Loop, and really deep dive on. It was a three-page document, what I was good at, what I was bad at, and things that um, I needed to work on. And the, the bad at one... It was quite confronting, but it really did highlight those bits that I wasn't good at. So I think that first bit was really important to really deep dive on myself and then craft the team around me that could do the things I couldn't. In terms of them supporting me, I mean, it's things like you're not going to get a response if you send me a massive email. So the team, like my COO, um, we communicate, communicate mainly by voice notes these days. So when he gives me updates, it's voice notes. It's just way easier. I'm much easier at a meeting. Don't send me an email. Just, just, just I'm, I'm way better to get on a five minute call. Those sort of. But that, again, has just been really transparent. Um, and then we live in Google Docs. So like my life lives, like everything I write, there's templates for, there's canned responses, there's messages. So, and the team is constantly kind of collaborating with me on on making sure wording's right. But I think what's lovely about that collaboration is I, I definitely write like I talk because that's the only way I've ever been able to write. So I literally, I look like the nutter on my computer <laughs> who I'm talking to my computer because that's the only way I can write. So if I, you know, the way they teach you in English at school, which is that very formal way of writing, I just could never do it. That's what was breaking my, so a friend of mine said, just like, you talk great, like just write like you talk. So I literally, I mean, obviously I don't vocalize it, but I'm there with my mouth moving all the time, typing and then, so what's lovely about then collaborating with the team on wording is my my words are very human because it sounds like me, but then they make it so that you can read it. <laughs> 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 
I was going to say on Google Dots, do you ever... <laughs> I find the track changes quite like a dagger to the heart when I see like something crossed out. It reminds you of school and I'm like, wait, what? What, what do you mean? I thought that was all right. <laughs> do you ever have that on Google Docs? Like, does it, is it ever a flashback to school? Do you know what? I, oh my God, I love track changes. <laughs> and it does, everyone's said it, not everyone's said it, particularly does my husband's head it. Like, um, but I love it. Why do I love it? I think, I think because um, I, I've, I've just come to, re- I've just become like, I, I know I can't do this. And so it just makes me happy that I'm working with lovely people who are taking the time to do it. So, um, yeah, um, but also I find that coll- I really enjoy the collaborative side of writing because of that. So if it comes the other way where someone sends me copy to look at, I love the track changes because they learn how I like to write as well. So it kind of, teaches people both ways I think um is what I like so yeah maybe I'm the weirdo that loves track changes (laughs) no you're right it is good it is really and I think it is quite dyslexia friendly because you can easily spot and the color coding is really clear I I, maybe I need to get a little bit more on board with it then (laughs) but with, with the inclusivity and and in the workplace you know we obviously have our needs as do the people that we work with so how do you kind of create that culture in your in your team so that people can come forward and say, hey, I'm not that great at this. Can you support me here? Very short answer. I think it does start at the top, if possible. And that doesn't have to be the top of an organization. That can be the leader of a team. But by being so open with the team, and I'm not just open about my dyslexia, I'm open about everything like you know I froze embryos three years ago and the team went through that whole journey with me you know if I'm having a bad period day I will say you know it's just that that's but having that kind of openness has definitely led to everyone else feeling very comfortable in being open that's brilliant the other thing that we did that actually we did during COVID which has proved really great in terms of making it a really safe environment to be open about things is we introduce something called Corona Buddies. So while we're all in lockdown, when we're in the office, you kind of get cliques forming. So teams would go off for lunch together. And and then during COVID, what we did is everyone gets assigned someone on the team that's not necessarily in their team. It can be on their team. And so they catch up on a one-to-one basis with someone during the week. And it's a social thing, right? So it's over Zoom or Teams. And you just have this deep time with one person. And what's been so lovely about that is it's removed the cliques so everyone's become really close to each other. But it also means if someone's not comfortable talking to me or their line manager, they are talking to another team member about it. And I've heard lots of stories about that happening where we've been able to support someone who's going through something just who wasn't feeling comfortable about talking to, you know, senior management. Um, And that's Mm. been... And, and then that person sort of helped coach them and mentor them. And then at some point when they did need help, they did escalate it. But it, those kind of things, I think trying to, I, I'm like, I have zero tolerance for politics. I hate cliques. So having that, that one-to-one time with each different people on the team has really helped make it a really safe space to be who you are and also ask for help when you need it. Because we all need it at some point. I love that. And I saw that you have a glory wall. I love that. I love that. And we have in our kitchen, actually, we have like um, just a board where we'll kind of 
pin things up that are moments that were memorable in some way. And I, and I love like the chaos of that. But that's such a great idea. Such a great idea. Yeah. How how does that work? How do you how do you do that? Well, it's it's funny. I, I do these team surveys where I get feedback from the team. They're anonymous. Actually, this is another great way to spot when things are going wrong in your organization. So it's an anonymous survey that goes out to the team to ask for feedback. And people are really honest when it's anonymous. Um, and one of the things early on is we were just we were just running from thing to thing and we we're never celebrating the wins. And so we just wanted to start celebrating the wins more. And that just was you know, a lovely visual way of doing it. The sad thing about COVID is we, we are now all remote first. So our glory wall is actually a Slack channel. <laughs> so we now have like a, a glory Slack channel, but it's as visual and beautiful, but everyone pops up stuff that's happened because my team now are working all over the world and Um, And it can be lovely messages from the community. It can be, so we've got a couple of the team members who are in Australia and you get pictures of them going to the beach, but then, you know, like big celebrations when we kind of sign a big client or, so yeah, it's, um, we've had, we've had two baby dots born during lockdown. So babies hitting and, and so, so it's just been this lovely kind of way, but it is on Slack now, not on the wall because there's no central office. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wow. That's a really great point. It's lovely that you're celebrating the small wins and the big wins and keeping connected during remote working, isolation. It's all really important. What would your advice be to organisations, directors who have neurodivergent colleagues, employees, to give them support, especially when now time's a little bit more distant and we're not in the same space? Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the slightly tougher bit because you know when you're we're, we're quite an established team. We have onboarded a load of new people, but you know the established team is sort of does know each other, and we sort of set the tone. I mean, I I personally love that survey because not every dyslexic person is the same, right? You know, I love track changes. You don't, you know, that's like, yeah, you know, and you know, when you're a mix of dyslexia and ADHD, it's different again. And if you're dyslexic autistic and ADHD, that's different again. And some things that are challenging for other people aren't so much for others. And so I found the anonymous survey really useful for that. So for example, when we were in a physical space with the survey, uh, a number of my team are autistic and I kept giving them desks in a really noisy thoroughfare area. And so that was obviously a bit of feedback that I hadn't really computed, to be honest. And then it wasn't until then that we got a more quiet area. Now we're remote, they love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and have you seen a difference in their work? Yeah, oh my gosh. In terms of developers, this is their happy place, you know, just not, no distractions, no, you know, because there's so much nuance and, you know, there's no kind of cookie cutter model. I think just being very human, asking questions, asking for feedback, but creating a safe space where people can be honest. And that's why the anonymous survey works as opposed to just asking someone is really important because there's no real cookie cutter fix all for everyone because we are just so different. So, yeah, I think that would be my kind of main takeout for, for yeah. anyone who wants to make an inclusive environment is, is just be human and realise everyone's different and have different needs and just try sure. and tune into those. I 
I mean, you've got so many different amazing qualities that I can see of how you've become so successful. Um, but if you did have to kind of pinpoint a quality that has led you to where you are today, what what do you think that would be? Oh, I mean, it's definitely linked to dyslexia. Um, so it is my ability to connect dots. <laughs> so there's so the, the the joy of having dyslexia is um, there's actually research on our brains that we have wider peripheral vision. So we're taking in more information all the time. So if you think about humans as the most sophisticated robots that exist, what we do is we take in information and data and see things all the time, and we synthesize that into creativity and intuition and problem solving. And that is definitely my gift. I see things quicker and I can connect things quicker, much quicker than anyone else can. It is also sometimes a curse because I get very strong intuition and I do also need to couple that with research and data. And so my team kind of say I'm the canary in the mine. I kind of get things, but I can also get things really wrong as well. So it's like 80% spot on, 20% really wrong. So I do need people to sort of say, but I'd say, yeah, I'd say it's probably linked to that. And perseverance, I think, like, this is a hard journey. <laughs> um, and, um, and again, that's probably linked to my dyslexia. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my dyslexia, if I was honest. <laughs> Great. I think a lot of young people will really want to hear that because at times when you're at school, it feels like the enemy. But what you've just said there is that it's obviously fueled your work. And you can see even the loop and the dots. Like, I wanted to ask you about the kind of creativity behind that, but you've you've just answered it, you know, seeing those patterns and landing on those ideas. And it's very authentic. So um, my next question is, or final question, is what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs, business leaders, creatives trying to carve out and navigate their dream careers? When I mentor, a lot of times people are very scared of failure and a lot of times don't jump into the place they want to go for that fear of failure, especially on the entrepreneurship level. And I think that is some an, an uncomfortable journey every founder or anyone who starts a business goes through or starts freelancing or whatever goes through. And I, I think I used to, it used to cripple me right back in the loop days. But I think what I came to realize is Everyone I love in the world is just really proud that I've given it a crack. And if I fail, the people that I'm worried with, but you go, oh, she failed. Well, they're not very nice people. And I don't want them in my life. And so I think it's just jump. Like if you feel like you want to do something with your life, the, don't worry about failure. The, it, it's such a magical journey. You learn everyone I know who started and failed, which has been a lot over the years has learned so many new skills and so many more experiences that they've been able to take on to something else. You never, it's never a setback. It's always a step forward. So I think it's just, you know, just do it if you want to, but don't feel you have to either because it is a mental journey. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it's not for everyone, this. Um, it's, you know, I work a lot. I have not a huge amount of life, you know, but I love it. So I really needed to hear that. <laughs> I was hanging on every word then. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I really needed to hear that today. 
During this episode, we had a technical glitch which impacted the sound towards the end. It's still really clear. It's a fantastic episode and we hope you enjoy it. But if you like us and you've got elephant ears, you'll notice it. So what advice would your younger self give to you now? Uh, probably be a bit kinder to myself. Um, so I, I do... I spend a lot of time analysing what I did wrong, which I think is a really healthy trait, but maybe beating myself up more than I should and instead put more of my energy towards the solution, not the kind of um, the grief of, oh shit, I've done that wrong, why didn't I do it differently? So maybe just being a bit kinder to myself. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, and I read a great book called The Subtle... I say read, everything I do is on Audible. Um, I... Uh, called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. (laughs) And I am going to write that one down. (laughs) Um, uh, Do you know what? I didn't, I put off reading it for years because I was like, I want to always give a fuck. Uh I always want to care. And actually it's not about that. It's about caring about the right things and sweating the important stuff, not the unimportant stuff. And that really helped change my mindset that like, you know, I've, I, it's more important. My energy is focused on the solutions and on the real problems, not the smaller stuff that can, can, can worry me. Pip, thank you so much for joining today. I know you're so busy. So thank you for the work that you're doing and stay connected. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Move Beyond Words podcast. For more information about this episode, please check out the links in the show notes or visit our website at movebeyondwords.co.uk. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. From as little as a pound, the price of seven bananas from Tesco's, you can join our network on Instagram, enjoy access to behind the scenes content and receive a Move Beyond Words welcome pack. To become a patron, please head over to patreon.com slash movebeyondwords or follow the link in the show notes. This podcast was produced by the Move Beyond Words team, Elizabeth Arifium, myself, Charlotte Edmonds, and Chris Bristow. It was recorded in Serendipity Studios London with graphic design by Alex Colhan and sound design and music by Chris Bristow and Tom Parker. <laughs>